And Ruth, I want you to notice particularly in chapter 1. It gives us an introduction to everything that evolves through those four chapters. Powerful story here. There was a famine in Israel. No rain, few crops, starvation, a desperate situation. And a gentleman by the name of Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, he took them and their two sons and left Israel. And he went to the land of Moab, an idolatrous country. Apparently, they received him well, as you read through that first chapter, And his sons married each of them a Moabite girl, a Moabite woman. After about 10 years, the father, Elimelech, had died. Then both of the sons died. There were no children by those marriages, one to Ophrah and one to Ruth, the two Moabite girls. At this point in time, Naomi is left without a husband and the loss of her two sons. Tragic. And in those days, very, very critical for her present and future security. Who is going to provide for her? So, she comes to herself and says, I need to go back to Israel. I need to go back home to my country and my people where I came from. You wonder why people do certain things in life Let's quickly look at what happened here. In weighing people's actions, it's sometimes difficult to know what is an error of judgment and what is an error of heart or motives. One slides into the other. We take a false step and pride prevents us from retracing it. Habit comes in to perpetuate the mistake. Foolishness becomes the cause of sin. We have to step back and let the Lord judge a person. Was he driven just by the presence of famine, starvation? We don't read of an exodus of others leaving Israel from Moab. So it makes you wonder. If you judge him by the standard of his time, what he did was an absolute no-no. Deuteronomy 28 tells us the land was given to Israel to inhabit under special circumstances with special promises. Would not a true Israelite have heard the call to return? Sounding in their ears continually, 
the traditions of his people, the national feelings, the education, all that distinguished a true Israelite spoke against a journey to Moab. But he broke through all of that. He did not seem to have any fear of dwelling among an idolatrous nation. Friends, our present choices may influence all of our afterlife. Can you say amen? Amen. A, minor, a man's errors, a man's choices, a man's errors, thanks to Christ, may be foolish without being final. I want to repeat that. A man's errors, thanks to Christ, may be foolish, but without being final. The Bible gives examples of that. Peter's denial of his Lord. The disciples' cowardice. Jonah's fleeing to Tarshish. The danger, of course, is one false step leads to another. The first step, then the second, to remain. Have you seen it in your life and others? Yes. Each of us have experienced it somewhere, some way, sometime. A false step does not mean God's mercies are denied. God protected Elimelech and his wife, Naomi. And as I said earlier, it seems the Moabites received them well. Treated his family kindly. And divine providence often descends to our human level, doesn't it? The story of Ruth begins with a story of wanderers from God. It's the story of mankind all through the Bible, wandering from his word, his spirit, his church, his gospel, wandering from Bethlehem, do you remember the meaning of the word Bethlehem? Anybody? House of bread. Bethlehem means house of bread. Friends, that's talking about the Messiah, Jesus, the bread of life. Wandering from Jesus, wandering from the house of bread, from Bethlehem. Those that go out feel full exploring the world, doing their thing, they go out full like the prodigal son to return empty, like Naomi, returning in bitterness. Jonah was a wanderer. All men by nature are wanderers. The Bible says, Isaiah 53, verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray, each after his own way. In Jude, the 17th verse, the wicked are called wandering stars. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, heard no voice like Abraham did that said, get thee out of this country. He didn't hear a voice 
or have a dream as Joseph did when he was told to arise. There was no pillar of fire or cloud as led Moses and Israel out of Egypt. Probably his life was very common, very feeble and meager, so ordinary and unheroic. An illustration of most of us, multitudes who wander from the sanctuary privileges. How many had to walk in those days as now with nothing supernatural, nothing out of the ordinary to guide them, only the light of conscience. Hebrews 11 tells us that God's faithful people through the ages have sought a better country, and they considered this world a strange country. But sad when men leave Bethlehem for Moab. Moab was a heathen land where idol worship was everywhere. Its worship was licentious, degrading. They worshiped the god of Chemish. You know, we live in an idolatrous society, don't we? Be honest. This is an idolatrous society. Chemus, their main god in Moab, involved human sacrifices. That was part of their worship. And to drown out the cries in those human sacrifices, and so many of those sacrifices, yes, were babies. What is happening in our land today? Unreal the number of abortions that take place. Back babies being sacrificed, to drown out the sound of the cries in Naomi's day, they beat the drums louder and louder at the worship services. We have a lot of noise in our society that drowns out the cry of our conscience. What are you letting your mind dwell on, focus on, absorb? It's sad when men leave the house of bread, Jesus, for Moab, idolism, worship, materialism. Their life is like clouds without water, the Bible says. People think they'll just go to Moab for a while, but they stay there. Going to Moab often means continuing in Moab, dying in Moab. The Bible simply tells us he continued there. <clears throat> Whatever his state of mind, it became fixed. It became permanent. Friends, how much, think about it, how much depends on a moment's choice. In every life, there is a moment when wandering begins. At that moment, when you make that decision or do not make a decision, it may be forever. Do we walk with God or contrary to him? He lost his life while seeking a livelihood, found a grave while seeking a home. Will you trade eternal life 
for a few dollars for a nicer lifestyle? Most people do. Most people do. Let's be honest. Most people do. It's all about me, now, and things. And you can't take it with you, brother. Don't do it. Choose Jesus. Choose lasting happiness. Now, enjoyment gone, wealth vanished, hope departed, loved ones in the grave, Moab begins to show its real character. Like the prodigal son, Naomi comes to her senses and remembers there is bread enough to share in the father's house. It says she arose. There was a decision, a decisiveness. All of us must make moral decisions every day. Joshua and Elijah both challenged the people to choose and be decisive. Naomi's experience is a common one. Through sorrow to repentance, through bitterness to decision. Her sweetness and beauty of character touched the hearts of the two daughter-in-laws. At Naomi's lowest point, is where the story takes a dramatic turn. She is now poor, alone, brokenhearted, yet this is her most promising moment in her life. From her darkest hour, light begins to come to her life. Jesus allowed Peter to sink so he would cry out, Lord, what did he say? Save me, that's right. Do you every day ask the Lord to save you? Paul says we must die daily. Every day, Lord, save me. He did not allow Peter to perish. Jonah was overwhelmed by the fish in the sea, but not destroyed. Her husband and sons, they are now dead. Her ties with Moab are broken. Now her face is set towards Bethlehem, the house of bread. For God's children, trials bring us closer to God. You know, it says in the Bible, tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, experience hope. Hope maketh not a shame in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It says in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those that love the Lord. Have you ever been like me? I'm sure you have. There are times I have said things were going wrong. There was trouble. There was real stress. I have said to God, Lord, I know you're still there. I know you love me. I don't know why I'm going through this. I want this to stop. God, whatever you have to teach me, I want to learn quick. I want to learn fast. I want out of this situation. Have you ever thought and felt and prayed like that? I have. Yeah, yeah. And many of these things drive us to our knees and drive us to the Lord and teach us powerful lessons. God has never abandoned you. He's with you. Hold on to him. 
Naomi won the love of her daughter-in-laws because she did not seek strife. She did not wish to rule. She was a woman of peace and love. Her name meant pleasantness. Now, you know, as members of this church, we have a lot of information. We have a lot of knowledge. But I hope our greatest love as we come to Jesus is to know how we can touch somebody else like Jesus would touch them. And it isn't always, as important as that is and a place for it, about information. We need to have more of a compassion and a heart for that person than we do a proclivity to be right, to know all the answers. You follow me? Amen, amen, amen. Okay, okay, yeah. That's, you know, the Lord's servant says there would be a hundred where there's one right now in our church pews. Can you imagine a hundred where there's one? if we were kind, courteous, tender-hearted, and pitiful, we would say compassionate today. Yeah. That's volume 9, page 189 in the testimonies. She was good to those girls. They loved her. Yeah. Ruth and uh, Orpha loved Naomi. She was a wonderful mother-in-law. Good relationship there. She urges the girls, she says, go back to your families in Moab. Tell them, don't think you'll find. Uh, she tells them, don't think you're going to go to Israel and find a husband. Uh, you know, that was their future. That was their security, a husband. It was very, very important in that time and culture and in, in, in every culture in those days. Don't think you'll find a husband in, in, in Israel. It's not our custom for our families to marry out of our culture and religion. My boy is marrying you was contrary to the way they were raised and the way people live back in my land, Israel. Don't, don't, don't think you're going to go back there and find a husband. You better stay here with your people. You know, she was trying to be honest, open, full disclosure with them. Had they been Israelite girls, there wouldn't have been a good chance because the law of kinship would have said the closest kin is to take care of this girl and marry her but they were not Jewish girls. They would be shunned. Orpha, the one girl, the one daughter-in-law, thinks about it. And notice in verse 15, she says, it says, she went back to her people and her what? Gods. Her motives were not as deep as Ruth's. Her longing after God was not as strong as her earthly affections. Naomi told them what her sons did in marrying them was strictly out of order. It was not typical. She loved them too much to deceive them. Orpha chooses to go back to Moab and all that Moab implies and includes. Ruth chooses Israel and all that Israel implies. Christ offers man the kingdom of heaven. But so often man chooses the kingdom 
of earth. Orpheus religion was a feeling and a mere profession, while Ruth was a principle, noble, enduring, and self-sacrificing spirit imbued her whole being. It was something only God can give a person. Friends, each of us is a sinner, and we come to a point where we either go forward and confess our sins or backward and deny the hope in Jesus. All of our future hangs on that decision. Many join the people of God and then drift away. Jesus is always calling you back. He holds his arms out. No woman in the Bible is spoken of more highly than Ruth. That includes Mary, the mother of Jesus. That includes Esther, who at a critical point saved the nation of Israel. She is so humble. She is so affectionate. She is so totally committed. Notice it says the two women, one a Gentile, Ruth, one an Israelite, Naomi, go back to Bethlehem. They are each a type of what the church would be. Israel as a nation finally turned their back on God. Now, I want to say something very important here. I don't know your congregation and your people in it, but there are a lot of people, most of the evangelical world, and many people in our church, everything in their attention is about Israel, the land of Israel, a geographical point, or people of the bloodline, heritage, Jews, Israelites, in that sense, bloodline. But I want to remind you what Israel and an Israelite spiritually in the Bible means. When Jacob, the deceiver, that's what his name meant, had that encounter with God where his name was changed to Israel, and Israel means prince that prevails, and the book of Peter tells us we each are of the royal priesthood, we're princes of God, we are to be a holy people. Jacob, now called Israel, a prince, prevailing over what? Sin. He's no longer a deceiver. Literally, we need to understand the word Israel means overcomer. Are you with me? You follow me? After Jesus' death and resurrection, we have the Christian church. And you read in the book of Revelation, the first three chapters, there are seven churches. And notice, 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 by each church it says, to him that overcomes. It talks about the first church. What's it say about the second church? To him that overcomes. To him that overcomes. The third church. The fourth church. Every one of them. To him that overcomes. That's his church. If you are Christ, you are Abraham's seed. Galatians 2.28 tells us. 
and heirs according to the promise. What I am telling you is if we are Christ, we are Israel today. And if you are Israel, you are an overcomer. You have God's law written in your heart. The last message to the world, the three angels in Revelation 14. That is an Israelite, an overcomer, a person of character. You with me? You follow me? That's very important. It's not about a geographical point. It's about a character change. It's about God's law in the heart. That's Israel. If you know and love and follow Jesus day by day, you are an Israelite, an overcomer. Amen? Okay, that's where we are. That's who we are. Now, you see that happening with this Jewish girl and this Hebrew girl coming back to Bethlehem, the house of bread, coming back to the Messiah, Jesus, our Savior. You with me? Uh, that's, that's very important you understand that. And we've got many people in our own church that are mixed up about that. And everything's about the Middle East and, 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 and Jews and Israel. We need to know who Israel is. You are an Israelite when you're an overcomer, when you've given your life to Jesus. You are Christ. You're Abraham's seed. Let's be sure we understand that. Now, <clears throat> when see people there in the town of Bethlehem see Naomi returning, they said, is this Naomi? They were shocked at what they saw. She left a woman of means. The stresses and trials of life, the years have taken their toll. She was young and beautiful and wealthy. Now she is old and poor. We all can lose health and riches so quickly, can't we? This life is just a vapor, the Bible says. It's just like dew on the morning grass. She said, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasantness. Call me Mara, bitterness. I went out full. The Lord brought me back empty. Job, Elijah, had the same experience. They lost everything and were at death's door. They arrived at the time when they came back, literally, to Israel, Bethlehem, at the time of barley and wheat harvest in the spring. The perfect time to come back. Ruth sees the harvest going on and thinks she'll glean and they'll survive. Friends there, at times we must have help or we perish. And God knows that. All of us at times, we reach our wit's end. He is there to help us. Each of us must know by experience that God is our refuge and rewarder. Ruth comes to Israel to know God better and live more fully for him. Man's greatest sin, your greatest sin, my greatest sin, is that we will not come to God. We all come to God for trust, to find shelter, deliverance, rest, reward. Naomi tells Ruth, go, glean in the fields. We have so little. We need food. Go glean in the fields. The next morning early, Ruth is up. She's out there at the fields that are being harvested, and she asks the supervisor for permission to glean, and it's given her. 
the Torah, the Old Testament law, taught about gleaning. <clears throat> that everybody that had a field, when they harvested, there were some little things that fell here and there. Leave them. Leave them for the poor to come in and gather. Don't take every last whit of everything. Leave it for the poor. It was a law to help society. <clears throat> Later in the day, the owner of the land, a man named Boaz, he stops by to see the progress of the workers in his field. He sees there's someone he doesn't recognize. And they are gleaning, and he asks, who is this? And they tell him, he is very pleased when he finds it is Ruth the Moabite. The story has spread how good she is to her mother-in-law, Ruth, uh, Naomi. And uh, the people had talked about how, how she left her people and her country and her gods to devote herself to helping her mother-in-law, Naomi, and to serve the God of Israel. He studies her. He notices her hard working. He tells the supervisor to let the other workers know they should purposely drop a little extra food for her, a little extra of the harvest for her. Also to be careful how they talk to her and treat her. Don't treat her like a foreigner or somebody low class or a poor person. He actually personally invites her to lunch. He says, I have plenty of food here for everybody I want you to come and eat with the rest of us. And there are large jars, pitchers of water you can help yourself to. Her heart was touched. She bowed before him as the custom in those days when someone was very good to you. She thanked him greatly. When she was the, through with the field that day and had separated the, the, the grain from the stalks, and brought it home, she had a huge sack of food, far more than Naomi ever thought she would get. She thanked the Lord, and she said, My, my, where did you get all this? Where did you work? And she told her, and she told her who owned the field. And Naomi stepped back, and she said, Praise God, that is a relative of my husband." Praise God, go back to his field tomorrow. And she tells Naomi, she says, that's what he told me to do, come back and work his field. Stay close to his workers, and they would watch over her and help her and care for her. She told her, that is a relative of my deceased husband. How wonderful he's remembered us and the kindness he's showed. Time goes on, the barley harvest ends, and then the wheat harvest begins, and she reaps that from Boaz's field. One day, she sits down with Ruth, and she talks to her. She says, you need a husband so you can have children and be cared for in your old age. She told Ruth, we have a custom, a law, a widow is to be married and cared for by the closest relative of the deceased husband. There's something I want you to do. Now, you hear this at first, and you think it's strange and weird, and yet it was a practice that was understood and implemented. She tells her, she says, 
you know and I know that Boaz is sleeping down there under the little tent by all the harvest, the food, the grain that's been brought in from his fields. He guards it each night. He sleeps there. She says, you go down there after he's asleep and you take and lie at his feet and take a little bit of the cover that's over him, over his feet, and spread it over you. During the night, Boaz, as he moves in his sleep, touches her, awakens, is startled, and he says, who is this? She identifies herself and tells him, I was told to do this. This is your custom. I would like to be your wife. Will you take and care for me? This is what Jesus does for us. He puts his robe of righteousness over us. He covers us with his love and his security and his assurance. As she says this to Boaz, he says, you know, you could have gone, his heart was touched, you could have gone and found men much younger than me. He was very touched, very honored. He said, take my cloak. He says, I am going to deal with this matter. So he goes to the city fathers, and he tells her before he goes, he says, there is one relative that is closer to you by blood relation than me, and I must deal with this. He goes to the city fathers, and he calls that man forward, and he says, they, Naomi, is going to sell this. They're in a difficult financial situation. Kind of like what we call a fire sale, you know. They're going to sell this land. You have first right to buy this land. I would like to buy this land also. I am a distant relative. Are you going to buy this land? The man says, yes, I want the land. So now he speaks up and he says, okay. When you buy the land... You also take Naomi as your, uh, excuse me, Ruth, as your um, wife. He says, oh, I don't want the land. I don't want the land. Because I have children by her, and the land will pass to the children. I paid for something that I'll have shortly and give away. Did he really care about Ruth? No. No, he wanted the land. You know who that other person is in the story? I have parked back at my home a car. I have title to it. That's my car. I own that car. If somebody steals my car, who's really the owner? I'm the owner. I still have title. But who has possession? The devil. The person that stole that car has possession. This other person in the picture is the devil. Yeah, he didn't want her. He wasn't interested in her welfare. He wanted 
what he wanted to promote himself. Yeah, yeah. So, here we see. The devil lays claim to us. He wants rulership. He wants everything in this world, but he cares nothing about raising up a family to honor God or the Father's name. Ephesians 6, 12 and 13 talks about this. Spiritual wickedness in high places. Yeah. This other man has no love or regard for Ruth's welfare. He wants the material benefit. He wants rulership. He wants the sexual privileges of intimacy and a marriage. The devil cares nothing about you or your welfare. It's all about him. Boaz put his blanket over her that night. It represents Christ's robe of righteousness covering us. He takes our poverty away. He gives us security, safety, happiness. He surrounds us with a sweet, loving family, and that's what we all need. The poor little girl, Gentile girl Ruth, becomes the great-grandmother of King David and is directly in line of the Messiah, Jesus. We each one need to stop wandering and come home to Bethlehem, the house of bread. We need to come back to Jesus. Let's review what we went over in this story in Ruth very quickly. Two women, Jew and Gentile, the Christian church today, overcomers, overcomers, God's law in their heart. A woman, a poor woman, destitute in trouble. Bethlehem. We all need to come home to Bethlehem, the house of bread, Jesus. Moab, its idols, the world, its materialism, death, separation, heartbreak. Harvest, souls to gather in. There's a story here for all of us. Boaz, the rich man, our heavenly father, who pities us. He has so much to offer us. Stay close to God, friends. Don't wander. Don't be a wanderer. We need to bow before him. He covers us. The woman is his darling, the church. You are his darling. You are his people, the apple of his eye. The devil only wants to use you. He's used all of us at one time or another, hasn't he? God will raise up children for the kingdom if we'll unite our life to his life. I want to serve the Lord. I want to fall at his feet and appreciate all that he's offered me, everything you could ever dream of. He says he already has a home for us in heaven. Yeah, yeah. He's coming back to receive us as family. He's going to have a great wedding feast. We're special. We're special. Don't sell yourself out to the tinsel, the toys of this world. God loves you. God loves you. Let's pray. Father, help us to see each of us in the story of Ruth, how much you care for us and how all of our troubles and trials, if we turn to you, can be brought into 
a beautiful spiritual experience in our life. Give us faith. Give us submission. Help us to die to self. Help us to love Jesus. Help us to be like Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.